All right, <clears throat> let me, let me uh, begin by saying, first and foremost, as always, we are here to bear witness that there is no God but one, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, maker of heaven and earth, inspirer of this word, and we pray for sanctification by his word today. And we're going to be discussing. I've, I feel like the Lord gave me the two words this morning, offensive obedience. Amen. And um, <laughs> that, um, those two words don't often go together. And um, it certainly wasn't anything on my mind for today, but... Um, I kind of felt like I was getting it literally as I was walking downstairs early this morning. Um, and, and here's what we're, we're um, he's helping me better understand brotherly kindness. And um, I really think this offensive obedience piece is just to, just to better clarify what this is. So, um, we're not going to get to the homework text that I gave y'all uh, for this week. We'll, we'll just push those to next week. Those are both in uh, 1 John. But I think it will actually greatly improve what those texts are supposed to teach us and what they are supposed to convict us of. I think today's message will greatly improve the impact of those texts. So we just push those to next week. And um, and we will get to them, so continue to study them. Um, but we're not going to talk about them today. We're gonna we're gonna go back um, and start with Philippians chapter three. And um, let me read what what Paul says here um, in the first uh, six verses here. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of mutilation. For we are the circumcised who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Jesus Christ, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so, circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is of the law, blameless. So, so Paul is saying there, that if anyone had any right or place or experience with confidence in the flesh, believing that we can obey God in the flesh, believing that we can walk in his ways in the flesh, believing that we can please him in the flesh, believing that we can honor him in the flesh, believing that we can worship him in the flesh, believing that we can be useful to him in the flesh, believing that we can love each other in the flesh, he said, if anyone could believe that it was him, 
Because as far as the flesh was concerned and the flesh being beaten into submission to attempt to give God what God has always wanted, Paul said, if anyone had the right to be confident, it was me. I was the best. I was the most committed. I was the most disciplined. And he goes on from there to say what? What I did and what I had was rubbish compared to what? Knowing the Lord. And as I said last week, often this passage is, is used to teach the law is rubbish. Like the law is useless. The law, the law means nothing. The only thing that matters is to love Jesus. But that's not at all what Paul was saying. What was he saying? He was saying to attempt to keep the law outside of knowing the Lord, that is rubbish. Everyone hear me. It's super important. I feel like the Lord gave me the word offensive obedience. Obedience that is actually offensive to God. And I think that is exactly what Paul was is re, and, and Saul at that time was walking in and referring to. All of this going through the motions in our flesh to attempt to please God, that is rubbish. Paul did it better than anyone else could, anyone else would. And at the end of the day, what he realized was that Verse 7, but, the things that, but, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet I indeed also count all things lost for the excellent excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but which is from faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and be conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain the, the resurrection of the dead. So I was reminded... Um, so, so God was using and has been using Saul to help me ultimately understand this step of the things that we are to add to ultimately partake and walk in God's divine nature. What, what Saul had was incredible perseverance, incredible self-control, incredible knowledge of the law, and an attempt to keep the law, all without having godliness. All right, and that can be confusing if we um, if we aren't continuously reminded of what godliness is, because most people think of godliness as virtuous living, not what godliness is. What is godliness? Godliness is about source, right? Godliness is about why. It's about motivation. It's about as we talked about last week, when we, when we come to a crossroads decision every minute of every day and we have to make a choice whether we're going to obey God or disobey God, what motivates that choice? What we know regarding Saul is that what motivated his choice here was not godliness because godliness is what? 
piety or devotion towards God based on love, right? An outflow of loving the God of the Bible is the perseverance and the self-control to know his word and align with it. So how do we know that Saul did not have this category correct? Okay, so this is, a, this is the point that we are adding today. That we know Saul did not know God. Did not know God. Right, so he could not have God godly. He could not have had this category correct because godliness is a love and a devotion for God that fuels and motivates our obedience. Right, so he did not have godliness because he did not have a love for the God of the Bible, because he did not know the God of the Bible. Did he believe he did? He Absolutely. Are there many, 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 many in the church today that believe they're serving and loving the God of the Bible that are not? Absolutely. All right, so that we know that this is possible. What, what Saul's story and what really the, the scriptures teach from beginning to end is... is, is an attempt to keep God's ways in the flesh is very possible. It's a, it's a major temptation. One that Paul is not an isolated teaching on. Jesus' very words in Matthew 7, right, verses 21 through 23 that we've referenced a lot speak to the same warning. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and feed the homeless in your name and do Bible studies in your name and serve on the kids' ministry in your name and do this and do this and do this and do this. And Jesus says, you never even knew me, right? So that is a, it is a very real um, threat, saints, to all of us that um, if we don't have this category in place, all of these things can still kind of be in place and it will be an absolute offense to God. Seth, would you turn the main light on for me? Thank you. Thank you. So, um, so what that reminds me of is that there must be diligence and we must continue to be excellent and courageous and honest fruit inspectors as it relates to our own obedience, right? If you're a part of this congregation, the one thing that I know is that you've been taught obedience. You've been taught that the God of the Bible expects and desires our obedience. You've been taught that following the God of the Bible is a pursuit for holiness and to walk in his ways and to be set apart unto him and to be the light on the hill and so I know that that's what you've been taught. And I know that if you are here and engaged, that you see that that's truth according to God's word and that you are, along with me, seeking to take hold of that. So, so to where um, last week I said the path gets more narrow because now God is saying it's not enough to obey. Now you got to really peel back the onion as to why you obey and, and I'm not even just thinking, and I don't even want you all to think big picture theological why. I want you to think about that moment of decision. When you have a choice to 
obey or disobey, what is, what is it that's fueling you? Or what is it that's motivating you? And what the Bible is teaching is that that motivation can be a number of different things. But if it is not a love of the God of the Bible and devotion to the God of the Bible, that everything else that could be in place and was in place for Saul will actually be an offense to God and specifically come against the plan of God. That makes sense? So we got to be excellent fruit inspectors because it will bear out in the fruit. And one of the specific fruits that we are going to add to the ones we discussed last week is, to Dana's point, persecution, not just of the church, persecution of the real church. Okay, and that's a big distinction that we're going to make today. Um, so last week, or really for the last two weeks, um, we looked at Matthew 23 to... Um, to look at what Jesus was identifying as the fruit of obedience in the flesh or the fruit of obedience if this category is not correctly in place. And he was referring specifically to the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees are always going to be for us a great example of fleshy obedience, right? The flesh attempting to walk out all of these things um, without partaking in the divine nature, walking in the divine nature. So the human nature attempting to walk in the ways of God versus the divine nature walking in God's ways. The fruit that comes from each will be different. So the fruit that Jesus mentioned in Matthew 23 that we brought to light last week, who remembers some of them, any of them? Excellent. Okay, pride is always going to be the kind of the, the foundation of it. And, and how does pride typically manifest? What's that, babe? Self-focused. Self Devotion to self. Yeah. Right? So make no mistake about it, we can have devotion to self in this category, right? Can devotion to self bring about a perseverance and a self-control to study the word and try and walk in his ways? Yes. Absolutely. Devotion to, devotion to self can attempt to walk all that out, right? When does that break down typically? No, no, I know what you're, I know what you're saying. I'm, I'm asking if, if devotion to self is what is fueling our obedience, when does that break down? Good. When it comes, when it comes with a cost, when it comes to others, right? So, so um, 
We used Saul, Old Testament Saul, as our example last week. He just so beautifully walked out um, obedience in his flesh to a specific assignment and just clearly highlighted everything that Jesus gives voice to in Matthew 23. So, so the first thing that, um, that Saul did on his assignment was, the assignment was what? Go kill everything. What's the first thing that he did? He didn't do, he didn't do all of it, right? It was partial obedience, right? And, and, the, and the obedience in the flesh, because devotion to God is not in this category, it's always going to be partial obedience, we, we decide why, because we're devoted to self. So the level of obedience will be very much in line with the um, purpose of the flesh. And if the purpose of the flesh is to just draw attention, right, or to get fans, or to get famous, or to get money, or to get more, or to get whatever, we will always, or the flesh will always do just enough to accomplish that. Right? Because that's ultimately the why. The why is what does the flesh want? Well, the flesh wants recognition. Well, Saul said, I want to be recognized. I can go do part of the assignment, and I can actually get even more recognition if I bring back some of these animals to sacrifice them. You know, you see how the, 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 the prideful self is so tricky. It's so easy to be deceived, right? So it's always going to be partial obedience, right? The disobedience piece is the evidence that this is not ultimately being done out of devotion to God. Because what does God want? Obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. That is, that is the word of the Lord to that whole situation. Obedience is better than sacrifice. God just says, I just want you to do what I said. So the flesh will always do partial obedience, and it looks like I'm not going to kill the best. I'm going to bring back the best. I'm going to bring back the king. Or, or to make a more just general example in the flesh we might add certain things that god is showing us we need to add but we will not remove the things he's asking us to remove or or vice versa we'll remove the things that he says are no longer for us but we won't add the things that he's telling us to add right and why won't we do that when others are involved when it costs us something when there's, you know, it's, it's really the parable of the sower. I'm thinking about the, you know, the two middle, the two middle seeds. When, when things get hard and there's a cost, fall away. What is that likely of, um, uh, a exposing of, ultimately, that this is not in place? The obedience was false. It was a form of godliness, but denying its authority, right? This is what what Peter writes about in, in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy. He said, in the end, there'll be this form of godliness, right? It will be a form of godliness manifesting in partial obedience, right? But at the end of the day, when there is, um, when the authority that comes from loving the God of the Bible is necessary because there is a cost that's going to be accrued because self-denial is, is being, um, is the need, right? Or there's going to be, um, um, cost on the relationship side because that's going to offend family or people or it's going to make for a smaller congregation, right? These are, these are, the, these are the prices that are only going to be paid when piety towards the God of the Bible is in place, 
right? So why am I talking about this stuff? To make everyone feel like crap. <laughs> okay, that's not what we're doing here. We're talking about fruit, right? We got to just be honest and we got to be real and we got to be fruit inspectors to know if we have piety in our life. Yeah. Real piety. Real devotion towards the God of the Bible will manifest in obedience that the flesh will not walk out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is exactly what I think Paul is referring to when he talks about confidence in the flesh. You know, that's, 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 I think you're talking about the same thing. It's not about, we can take no confidence in self, right? The minute there is pride, the minute there is pride, it's almost certain that you're doing it in your flesh, right? Another manifestation of the pride is going to be, remember when Saul comes back, what's the first thing he says? Blessed be the Lord, I have obeyed what he commanded, I'm going to build me a monument to self, to self. Right? It's just, we got to learn to judge the fruit, right? Are we going to, are we going to judge, a mon- I mean, I'm sorry, are we going to build a monument to self? Gosh, I hope not. But, listen to me, the minute you put your identity in a commandment, you're doing the exact same thing, and I'm doing the exact same thing, and entire denominations are made that way. Are they not? Yes. We're the yes. Sabbath keepers. Yes. Right? Yes. We're the Torah keepers. Yeah. We're the this, we're the that. Anytime we are anything other than one in Christ, we're doing the exact same thing. Right? So there is um, tricky, Hidden ways that the, that the flesh manifests, that the pride manifests, yeah. and one of those will be identity. Yeah. Bless the Lord I have commanded. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I have obeyed what he commanded. Like the minute we pat ourselves on the back that we're obedient, the, 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 the spirit will never do that. The spirit is only humble. Right? Yeah, Michael? Absolutely. Right? So as you're talking through this, I'm thinking I'm thinking through what you're saying and I'm like the minute I give voice to what he's actually doing inside of me, yep. that's that's the that's where I could get tricked out. Exactly right. Exactly right. So it's all about being honest with that fruit. It's all about having the courage to judge it honestly. You know, because, because it needs to get exposed for each of us where we're doing this for the wrong reasons. And doing what? Keeping God's commandments? Right? It seems like such a crazy thing that he's exposing, but I think it's super important. So important to me, maybe it was just for me, but he was saying to me, Eric, you can offend me with your obedience. You can offend me. 
right? Jesus was so offended by it. He says either be all in or all out, right? Be hot or cold, but whatever you do, don't fake it. That's what that teaching has always meant to be to me. The, the, the thing that is most offensive to God is cell phones going off right in the middle of service. <laughs> I'm very, very, very kidding, Bonnie. <laughs> that reminds me, I better put my own phone on. Yeah. The first building program. Okay, so, so um, and by the way, when, remember also when, when um, Saul is confronted regarding his sin, someone, someone even mentioned this, when, when Saul is confronted regarding his sin, the self-preservation kicks in. Yeah. And the self-preservation kicks in by all of a sudden, now I'm the victim, right? And, 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 the, and the flesh is highly offended when sin gets exposed, right? Mm -hmm. and, 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 here's the, and here's the reality, guys. Um, we can know that we are in the spirit when, when a sin is exposed in our life and we are not offended, but rather grateful. We are not offended, but rather humbled, right? If we are, if we are offended when sin is exposed, any obedience in that area, we are doing completely in our flesh. Cause it's like the, the, the flesh is being puffed up. I was doing this and, and to come back and say, no, you weren't, then the flesh is going to fight back against that, right? So, so it's, it's another important way for us to judge fruit. Are we offended when sin gets exposed? When, when correction, not by anything but the word, shows an incongruency in your life or my life against God's commandments, are we immediately offended? Do we feel judged? Right, because if we do, telltale sign, you're at least in that area, you're doing it in your flesh. Yes, sir. I'm just um, to the degree, and it's like right in line with us today, mm. really good. But it's about the um, you know when the Pharisee prays, yeah, and he's talking about, yeah, I'm so grateful that I'm so awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> right, and um, and the biggest thing that stuck out to me is it says this attitude shows how little they understand of the true holiness of God and the lowliness of our spiritual state. Amen. While on earth, Jesus worked more easily with tax collectors and sinners than with the Pharisees. Absolutely yeah. right. And so I, like, I, as we've gone on this journey, right, we're definitely learning some truths that are not common yep. in the church. But it also puts us at risk Absolutely. to start seeing ourselves as better than or above. 100%. This is specifically what the Lord is speaking to us right now, guys. This is it right here. Just because, you, you know, the, the truth has been grasped, you know, in tiny ways, the threat for pride and the, th and the threat to just put God behind and now do it in our flesh, it's so real. Yeah, which, which is the fruit, right? This is the fruit that we got to judge. The minute we start doing that, thinking that way in any way or manifesting that in any way, man, it's time to repent. Big time. Um, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yep, this is why honesty is, 
is so critical, honestly judging the fruit. So um, what, we, what we must experience Or what we must hear today is, um, in addition to the fruit that's been mentioned, and the fruit that we write about in Matthew 23, the fruit that we what we read about regarding Saul, the the pride pieces, um, the self righteousness pieces, the self preservation pieces. There is another specific threat, and it's in line with what Seth just mentioned. And it's something that I'm just going to be totally honest. I'm very guilty of, and it is. Um, coming against the church. So, um, so before we, before we um, really unpack that, I think the reason um, we must understand that this is one of the fruits that comes with self-righteousness or obedience in our flesh is because it's, it's the exact opposite of this. And, um, and here's, where the, here's where the distinction is going to be made, here's where the division is going to be made, and here's where... Um, the fruit on one side or the other is going to be um, ultimately recognized, all right? So what we are to add to godliness is brotherly kindness. And what is godliness, by the way? Piety towards God. Devotion to God based on love, right? So if we have piety, which is devotion to God, it will manifest in brotherly kindness. Saul did not have piety here, right? He had deception here of some kind, and it manifested in what? Persecution of the church. Okay, so persecution of the church is exactly what Jesus experienced, is it not? Right? Who persecuted Jesus specifically? The Pharisees, the church, the Jews, right? Who persecuted the early Christians post-Pentecost? Post, uh, the church. Right? And if any of us have any experience with biblical persecution, who's it come from? It's never from non-believers, Ever. It's never from non-believers. It's always only from those who are walking in, and this is where I'm going to get super offensive, I know. It's only from those who are walking in a form of godliness that denies its authority, who are ultimately spiritually masquerading, right? Who are ultimately just going through the motions because this is not in place. It's always that group that will come against the true Authentically born again, saints of God. Always. Because the darkness hates the light. And the flesh is opposed to the spirit. Okay, so... Um, the remedy... From a fruit standpoint is brotherly kindness. Now, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult one to look up because it's two words. I don't know if anyone else did any 
study or meditation on, on these specific two words, but you get love, you get affection, you get kindness. There's a, a number of different uses for each of those words in, in um, both Old and New Testament. But if you dig into the um, specific strongs in the original language for brotherly kindness, it literally means one thing. And it's really important that we hear it. You know what it is? Love for the brethren. That's all it is. It's used in only a couple different places. It's, it means the exact same thing every time it's used. And it is not some overarching kind-heartedness, not some overarching niceness. It is literally a love for the church. Brotherly kindness is love for the church, love for the brethren. And why would that, uh, Strong's word, by the way, um, is, uh, Strong's number is 5361, and the Greek word is philadelphos, and it specifically means love for the brethren, love for the church. I wrote down love for each other and all other believers all over the world. And here's the question, why would that make sense? Well, what's this action finds itself within a list and the list is specifically regarding the people of God doing what? Partaking in his divine nature. Right, so last week uh, the, the Spurgeon, I got to bring a Spurgeon quote every day or every week especially from my new Bible. Uh, Spur, Spurgeon says that um, holiness is far better than morality because holiness um shoot holiness affects the whole nature of a man specifically his heart and his motives all right so Saul New Testament Saul teaches us that all these things that lead to a certain behavior or morality or kind of a fleshy virtuousness all of that can be done outside of the godly nature, right? And, 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 the, um, and the manifestation of that, which I, I think Paul is saying in Philippians 3, he absolutely walked in was this pride and arrogance, right? And specifically a persecution of the church. Well, what I'm learning is that when we walk in God's nature, Right? It affects our motives. It's way beyond just how, what we do. It's why we do it. It's way beyond how we live. It's what motivates how we live. Right? This, is, this is why the whole nature and divine nature piece has been so just eye-opening to me over the last couple of months. This, this um, understanding of our obedience as the outflow of a nature change versus disciplining the flesh it's huge god's not interested in disciplining the flesh he's interested in the whole nature of a man the whole heart of a man the whole why and the why as we walk in the divine nature the why is going to be simply this guys 
we're going to love what God loves. When we love the God of the Bible and have devotion and piety towards the God of the Bible, and when we partake in the nature of the God of the Bible, we're going to love what God loves. Guess what God loves the most? The church. It's what he loves the most. It's what he died for. It's what he's interceding for. It's what he's sanctifying, and it's what he's returning for, the church. So the best way to know whether we are partaking in the divine nature of God is do we love what God loves? Is virtuous living a part of this? A hundred percent. But it's almost like, it's almost like the no-brainer part. The people of God walking God's ways. That's just sort of the given. The road gets narrower when we start to love what God loves and care about what God cares about and intercede what God intercedes for and sanctify what God is sanctifying. Yeah, Michael? Okay, perfect. Michael, perfect. Here's the teaching, saints. Go to Ephesians with me. Remember, remember when um, we first got into the Second Peter 1 chapter on divine nature, we, we came back to Ephesians one time to, to just highlight how similarly both Peter and Paul write about the divine nature, write about the walk, the once we have faith, what do we add? The list that, that Paul comes up with is so similar to the one Peter comes up with, obviously because the Holy Spirit was inspiring both of what they wrote, but let's go back to Ephesians real quick here because I want to I, I um, highlight the point that Michael just made because it's, it's right on the money. So if you remember, um, just look at your chapter paragraph headings um, Ephesians 3 speaks about the mystery being revealed what mystery is that the, the whole gospel message right everything that God is doing that he is reconciling all things back to himself through Christ that all who are authentically born again are being invited into the ministry of reconciliation that is a ageless mystery you know, the New Testament writers often speak about what a miraculous, beautiful, breathtaking mystery God is doing. You know, I think we can take for granted sometimes just how remarkable it is. So Paul's giving voice to it. If you, if you have, a, um, if you've been saved, if you've been authentically born again, this mystery has been revealed to you. One of the Psalms we played this morning um, said, let um, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, sing to him a new song, for he has um, made known to us his salvation. It's such a beautiful thing to have an understanding of what God has done to save us. So Paul is saying that mystery has been revealed and there's a purpose, the second paragraph there, there's a purpose behind that mystery and that is what? That it is God's choice that his manifold wisdom would be made known through the church to the powers and principalities of the spirit realm. Right? The 
the purpose of us being shown this mystery is so that we can declare it and proclaim it. This is the entire why behind being a faithful witness, of the entire why behind Pentecost, that the Spirit would empower those for whom this mystery has been revealed to go out and declare it to the whole earth. Right? The church is the mouthpiece for what? This ageless mystery that God has made known to us his salvation through Christ. And our collective voice is to declare that into all the earth as a true and faithful witness with our entire lives. Right? Then he says, talks about the appreciation for that mystery, makes a beautiful prayer for us to be strengthened. And then the four... Chapter 4 says, now that you got it, now that your eyes have been opened, now the walk comes. And and read with me what he says about the walk. Chapter 4, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Listen to what Paul says in light of what Michael just said. With all lowliness and gentleness... With long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, that there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. Right? So the very first thing... That Paul says, once this mystery has been revealed to you, church, individual, family, and church, once this mystery has been revealed, recognize it's your job now to be the mouthpiece. And the first thing as a collective body that that mouthpiece is to walk in together is what? Unity. It's unity. Unity based on what? This incredible mystery that for some reason God has chosen to reveal to us. And our collective response to that is to unify as a body to be that mouthpiece, right? And is that going to be easy? Look at the language. Look at the language that is required to walk in unity. First, you better be lowly, the opposite of prideful, right? What's next? You better be gentle, the opposite of harsh, right? You got pride and harsh, everything the flesh will do when it's being, trying to be obedient, and you got lowliness and, and gentleness, everything the spirit will be, right? Then what? Which is what? Patience, why? Because we all suck at this sometimes, right? We all are disobedient, we're all deceived, we're all stiff-necked and stubborn, We all drag our heels, right? We all fall off the wagon. We all are selfish. We're all of that regularly, right? And and you can't be honest and come to any other conclusion. So what does that require of each other? We got to be patient with each other, right? And there has to be an endeavoring to keep the spirit of unity. What does that mean? You got to work at it. There has to be an intention to work at loving each other. That's what this text means. 
We've got to work at loving each other. And here's where I'm super convicted this morning because it is easy for me to attack the church. It's easy. It's low-lying fruit to attack the church. And I've done it way too much. And I repent and I ask for forgiveness because God loves the church. Especially the brethren. Exactly right. And that is one of many passages that say we love each other first. Here's the, here's the bottom line, guys. A non-believer will feed the homeless all day long. Right? It doesn't take the spirit. The pride will feed the homeless all day long because there's so much puffing up that that accomplishes. Right? Are we called to feed the homeless? Absolutely. When we do, are we doing it unto the Lord? Absolutely. But it, it does not take the spirit to feed the homeless. You know what it does take the spirit to do? Love the church. It takes the spirit to love the church. I'm telling you, it does. It takes the spirit to love each other. It is easier to, to, to sow disunity in the church than anywhere else. It's easier for us to love a drunk on the, on the street than it is to love each other. That's the bottom line. So it takes the spirit to love each other. It takes walking in the spirit, right? We're talking about two fruits of the spirit. Three, gentleness, uh, kindness, and, and patience are all fruits of the spirit, right? The things that we must walk in in order to love one another, they're all fruits of the spirit, Yes, ma'am. Today I thought so much about uh, Paul was zealous for God, but yet he knew not Christ until he experienced Exactly right. And that um, this emergence in Ephesians 4, there's John the Baptist emerged in water. Christ emerged with the Spirit. Amen. And that was what makes the difference Amen. because it was a changing the heart. Amen. And, um, and if you don't go through Christ, you don't recognize and recognize the duality. Right. His, he was the divine nature. Exactly right. And he reflected his duality yep. as both um, Amen. And we cannot, without recognizing Christ, we cannot partake in the divine nature. Even if you believe in the one true God, yeah. you have to understand we need the Savior. Exactly right. And that is God's plan from the beginning. And that is, a, that is an, ex, an expounding upon the divine mystery, Susie. I mean, the mystery, if you don't have Christ at the center of the mystery... You don't have the same mystery. Yeah. It is absolutely all about this amazing thing that God did through Christ. Broke down the dividing wall. Brought us near by the blood. 
there's so many references to how it worked. You know, it's like this, the Spirit is trying to explain to us what God's done to make his nature available to us, to save us, call us unto himself. It's so remarkable. Um, go with me real quick to... Um, I think I might have wrote down the wrong one. Oh, darn it. I think I wrote down the wrong verse. It's where um, Paul basically sa says that um, that he was um, a blasphemer, blasphemer, persecuting the church and arrogant. Anyone re remember where that is? Or someone, someone, see if you can find it for me real quick. It's. Oh no, it wouldn't be in Timothy. Oh yeah, it could be. Um, I can't remember the text, guys, but 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 it was um, it was meant to underline the point and and show once again the manifestation of the fruit that that Paul had his eyes open to, and he basically said that when when I did not have this category in place, he said I was a blasphemer which means twisting the things of God, right, for self-needs. He said, I was a persecutor of the church out of arrogance, right? But, but he follows up in the same paragraph. He says, but, but despite all that, God saved me. And despite all that, I am in the place I am to give the message that I'm giving to show just how merciful Christ is. And how good his patience is, and his long suffering is, and his mercy is for someone like me, right? And and it um, to to Michael's point. Oh, shoot, I wish I had that text. Doggone it. Um, he he basically Paul says I'm a I'm a I was a blasphemer, a, a persecutor, and arrogant. Everything the flesh will be. When the flesh is attempting obedience, it will blaspheme, which is what? Twist the things of God. It will persecute the church, which will mean what? It'll have a problem with the bride, right? And it will all be out of arrogance. So listen to me. If you have a problem coming to church because you're busy looking down on people, that's a huge red flag. 113? I did write it down, right? Kirby, will you read it for us?
because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Go through the end of the paragraph, please. There it is, yeah. Should I start? Yeah, let's do 12, 12 through 17. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? He's such, a, he's such a beautiful example of why we are to have patience and lowliness and long-suffering. Right? It reminds me so much of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18. Right? right? Right after he gives specific instructions about how to deal with a brother in sin, what's the next paragraph or parable? The parable of the unforgiving servant. Right, and what's the entire teaching about? Because God has forgiven you, you better forgive others. Because God has had patience with you, you better have patience for others. Because God has long suffered on your behalf for your stubborn butt and with all your rebellion, you better offer the same to others. Because if you don't, here comes his wrath. Right, so we have... Again, we have so much grace and, and mercy for the homeless guy in the street, but we, we won't forgive our spouse, right? We won't, have, we won't have, have, have patience with people that we're doing life with, right? Or for me, and to, and to continue with my repentance, it's actually, I do have love for, for you guys, like intense love for this congregation because we've done a, we've done a lot of life together. Right? We've come a long way, Seth, what we used to do together. <laughs> Seriously. We've, I married, you know, I married your son. I married you guys. My kids are best friends with your kids. We've gone camping together. You don't get any closer than that. So I have love for this congregation. That is not where I fall. I fall because I badmouth the church outside of this place. And that's lazy, unacceptable. And rarely is that criticism ever done out of any reason other than pride. So, so God is convicting me, it's intercession that the rest of the church gets. The church that is highly deceived and broken in a thousand ways. And it's really being exposed right now. What do I do? Not criticize intercede because that is what love for the God of the Bible requires of me because it's that lost church that he cares about Absolutely. Uh, 
Absolutely. Allowing the Spirit to show you God's ways. Absolutely. I could I can absolutely confirm that testimony in my own life. A revelation of the truth comes and all of a sudden you just want to hammer people with it. You know, all out of love and for the purpose of exposing the lies and exposing the deceptions and whatnot. And and you get a little bit further down the road and you just realize that what brings people to repentance is kindness and humility and doing the right thing without compromise over time, humbly and maybe just as a family. Or just as an individual. Like that's, a, that's the real testimony. And God will embolden us when it's the right time. And in the right way. With the right voice. But at the end of the day, this is, this is more about within the church. There is a, a need for love and kindness. And, and, an, and an endeavoring to keep unity. And endeavoring to, in all lowliness and gentleness. With long-suffering to love each other. This is what God is, this is what God is showing. Um, it's what Jesus prayed for. I think this is to Michael's um, Bible study this morning. It needs to be reread again. John 17 is, Matt, is uh, my, uh, Jesus' final intercession. And, and one of the things that he prays for that I think is so important in, in verse 20, I do not, uh, let's see. Yeah, 20 through 23. I do not pray for these things alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me, I'm sorry, and have loved them as you have loved me, that, that Jesus would pray that the sign or the fruit or the, the message that the, that the unbelieving world needs to see is love in the church. You know, it's unity in the church. And, and to me, I just had this, Wonderful thought this morning um, to Diane's point that I think we do have an opportunity to, to display. Like the, the outside world should look at the church and say, gosh, those guys love each other. Yeah. What a, I want to I be a part of that because those guys take care of each other. <laughs> they, never, they never have a bad word to say about each other. They love each other's kids. They, they build each other up. They'll, they'll give each other the shirt off their back. If it's like, there should be a love and a care and a, and a kindness within the congregation that is highly attractive to the rest of the world. Yeah. Instead, the rest of the world sees the church fighting and bickering and belittling and gossiping and, you know, all the other nonsense. So there's this incredible opportunity that we have a taste of that God wants to grow, I believe. Yes, sir. I was going to say, it just feels or seems so backwards because the more mature we get, the more we realize how hopeless we Absolutely are right. without Christ. I mean, our, our spiritual state is 
horrible. Yep. And that is precisely the heart that helps us to love each other. You know, we have the bond of Christ's goodness and Christ's perfection and Christ's sacrifice ensuring our salvation, but we have the awareness that we all were highly in need of his blood, equally in need of his blood. I didn't need it any less or any more than the rest of us. We all needed it exactly the same, and that is 100%. That is the commonality, our brokenness, but our wholeness in him. Yes, ma'am. Amen. One last text. Yes, ma'am. I'm being reminded of what you said, that this, this list of being able to see something within a body, the body of Christ specifically. Um, and I'm reminded of something that Lizzie said a few weeks back. We were talking about in the book of John. And everything that John did pointed to Christ. Mm-hmm. It's almost to the point to say, now I'm not picking on you, it's just I do love you. It's to say, like, someone like walk and says, Lizzie's so difficult. But you know what? Christ allows me to love her because it's Christ who allows this love. You're right. She's difficult. So am I. It's that piece, I think, that is a next step. It's more than just being a part of somebody because you know you can get money from them right. or being a part of something because they make you feel like family and you don't have family. It is, if we aren't pointing it back to God, I still think the body of Christ is totally missing something mm-hmm. that the whole point is. Yep. It's Acknowledging the kindness is acknowledging that there is sin and faults and whatever. We're not a perfect people, but it's God's kindness and the Holy Spirit's kindness in us that allows us to love yeah. our brethren. And it's not because, because I think that our flesh can love for a certain period of time, but at some point our flesh gives up. It's loving in spite of our faults That's right. and our faults or things. And the niceness isn't ignoring it, the kindness is having the right ability to, to, to edify. Like what the Bible tells us we're supposed to be doing, how we use his word, not my own. You, you reminded me of a great, another Charles Spurgeon quote. <laughs> the church is not an institution for perfect people. It is a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, a nursery for God's sweet children to be nurtured and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. The church is the dearest place on earth. Amen. What a beautiful quote. Um, yes, sir. I'm sorry. I just want to read on verse 17 through 19, leading up to. Mm. And then I want to read it then. So, 17, verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Yep. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them.
there's something for you. There's God for you doing this. Set apart them by your purity. Mm-hmm. Set them apart by mm-hmm. your truth. Your word is truth. As you send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I set myself apart that they also may be set apart mm-hmm. by the truth. Amen. Good. Well up yeah. inside. I'm what um, what he's doing outside of this. Mm-hmm. And he's keeping kids. I'm telling you, you guys are set apart. Mm-hmm. You stand out for his goodness, for his truth. And that's super encouraging to me to know that you stand. Amen. Um, let's let's read one last text. We've we've all read this story many times, but I think it beautifully underlines what the Lord is saying and specifically um, connects godliness and brotherly kindness. Both categories can be really easy to misunderstand, right? When you read them at first glance, both of these categories can be difficult to understand. Let's use this text to really highlight godliness is about love for God, devotion and faithfulness to God, and that is expressed in loving the church, the brethren. All right, so listen to Jesus restoring Peter. So when they had eaten, this is just after the resurrection. Christ has um, come back to life. Paul was out fish. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Peter was out fishing, saw Jesus on the shore, jumps in the water and swims to him. They eat breakfast together. And um, at this point, Peter's faith is pretty high, right? At this point, Peter's belief is pretty high. And I think um, the message that Christ gives him is a super clear and super beautiful explanation point to what he's telling our body today. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying the death he would, that Uh, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he said spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So, So that is the, from God's very mouth, the greatest act of loving the God of the Bible is loving the sheep. The 
greatest act of expression of love and devotion to the God of the Bible is loving the brethren. Okay? Now when you read 1 John chapters 3 and 4, or maybe just the whole book of 1 John again, the, the text will jump out at you exactly what is being written regarding brotherly love, brotherly kindness, caring for this group. Father, we, we thank you for the invitation to love. We thank you that we do not have to do it in our flesh. We thank you that you are showing us that we could not do it in our flesh, that it would be even offensive to try that all we do is surrender to your spirit. And by your spirit, we will love. By your spirit, we will show kindness. By your spirit, we will have patience. By your spirit, we will have gentleness and lowliness. By your spirit, we will have compassion. By your spirit, we will intercede. By your spirit, we will declare your mystery. By your spirit, this body will be united. So we give all thanks and praise and recognition to you, the one true living God. I pray that you would take every word today that was from you, plant it in our hearts, and that it would bear much fruit. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, so the homework was First John, yeah. chapters three and four for sure, whole book if you want, and we will discuss it next week. <laughs>